Our reading tonight is from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 to 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Do keep that uh, passage open and let me add my welcome to those uh, words of Andy. It's good to see you here uh, this evening, particularly if you're visiting. It's lovely to have you uh, with us tonight. Uh, those weekends away, by the way, do come. Uh, do come on them. Uh, Trinity, um, one God, three persons. That's as far as I've got in. No, we've got a bit, bit further than that in my um, It's going to be a busy week, but I'm looking forward to it. And I'd love to see you there. If, you, if, you're, if you're new, you think, should I go, shouldn't I? Come. It'll be great to see you there. Do come. Listen. Quite striking words, aren't they? Listen. Listen to me. I think, okay, that's not just striking, that's specific. Listen to me, everyone. Okay, that's not just striking nor specific, that's, that's extensive. Listen to me, everyone. Isaiah 49, verse 1, that's, uh, that's what we get here. Listen to me, you islands. It's Bible language for everyone. Listen to me, everyone. Who do you listen to? Eight million people tuned in on Thursday night for question time. Who do you listen to? Who's got your ear? Who has your attention? Uh, I guess we listen to people who, who connect with us but are going to bring in the future that we desire as well. We, um, so Steve Jobs, head of uh, uh, Apple. People listen to him because he connects with them. Because at one point, uh, as he led that corporation, he looked like he was failing. People listened to him because now, well, I don't know if you've got a PC or, or an Apple, but I, I bet if you've got a PC, you're at least considering maybe the next upgrade. I, I wonder. We listen to people like that, people who bring in the future. So who has your ear this evening? Who's had your ear this week? Who gets your attention? Who do you listen to? you're just joining us tonight, we're, we're having a few talks uh, in these evenings, looking at the book of Isaiah, and these 
poems, which are called the servant songs. They talk about a servant. They talk about the Messiah, one who would come in the future. And so we're going to look at that one. We looked at uh, him last week. We're going to look at that one again and delight in him, delight in what God says about this servant who will come. We met him last week, and we're going to learn more about him this evening. And if you've got a little handout, I put some headings down there to help you through, that this servant is the one to listen to, to because first of all, he knows his calling. This servant knows his calling. He's not a maverick. He's no accident. He's unique. He's not a maverick. Verse, uh, verse 1, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he's made mention of my name. See, when the servant comes, he won't be a surprise. We ought to have spotted him. He, he's the one that we ought to expect to come and everyone sit up and listen to. He's not a maverick. When he comes, he's, he's not speaking off message when he starts to say, listen to me, you islands. He's promised before his birth, this servant. He's no accident, verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. God's use of this servant won't be uh, haphazard, won't be sort of guesswork. No, the image here is of precision, uh, a sword, an arrow, a, a sharpened dagger for sort of close quarters and an, an arrow for long distances that hits the target. That's the image that we've got here. I guess the, the hiddenness here concealed me in his quiver. I guess the image there is of of one who's concealed and brought out at just the right time, like a man who's walking down the street, he's got a dagger just in the, in the shadow of his hand and brings it out at the right time. That's the image of this one here. He's not a maverick, he's no accident, he's, he's unique. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I'll display my splendor. Now the you there is singular. You, you are my servant, says God. God might have a, a quiver full of prophets, if you like, but he's only got one servant who's going to come and speak, one in whom he's going to display his splendor. It's very precise. God's not said that of any other one, that in you, in you an individual, I will display my splendor. And yet God says that to this one, to this servant. Now, who is this? Step back. Who is this, this servant who comes? We said last week explicitly from the start that we're thinking about Jesus in these passages, that this, these words were spoken to the Messiah who would come, and so we're thinking about him. But, well, look at verse 3. I mean, why can't this be the nation, Israel? You are my servant, Israel. Why can't it be the nation of Israel? And, of course, sometimes in Isaiah, that's, that's what's going on. Sometimes the servant is the nation of, uh, of Israel. But we've got to remember at other times, this servant is blind and deaf. That's how Israel is described as the servant here. So it can't always be that. And here, this servant, well, verse 6, he'll bring back Israel. So it can't just be Israel. It points forward. It's very individual, these verses. So the verses are a bit like the start of Jeremiah, where you get, before I was born, the Lord called me, a specific person who's going to come. And of course, the New Testament writers pick this up, pick up this very passage and say, this one. In fact, uh, don't you remember at the start of Luke, Simeon sees the baby and says, this one. This is the one that in 700 years before was spoken of. This one, holding in a mother's arms now, is the one 
who will bring light to the Gentiles, light to the ends of the earth. So this one who comes will be the new Israel, the place where you could meet God, this one. Now, why does God say this? Why do, why do we hear this uh, bit? Why do we listen into this bit? Well, it is, uh, it, it is poetic. It's not uh, literal in that sense. Jesus was never born in eternity in the sense that at one point he didn't exist. No, it's, it's not quite like that. So why are we told about this one? Why does it matter that he knows his calling? Put it like this. A few, a few years ago, I was, um, I was a teacher before I was doing the job I, I now do. And I was once asked to look after the school team, one of the school teams. And um, if you've ever been asked to do that, it's quite a scary moment. You're sort of handed over responsibility for you know, one of the, the teams of the school. And I remember going into it, feeling quite nervous, coming into to the room with a bunch of 16-year-old lads who I was going to be in charge of for that term. And, uh, and I came in, and, and there they are in front of me. And fortunately, the head of games was with me that day. Uh, he's called Mr. Archer. And Mr. Archer came into the room. He came, he was a big guy, came into the room. And he said, um, now lads, uh, I want you to listen carefully. Um, Mr. Lloyd's going to be coaching you this term. And I want you to listen very carefully to, to what he says. Now, uh, and then he left the room. And I'm standing in front of this group of, uh, of teenage lads. Now, the, the fact that the head of games has just put his hand on me, so to speak, and said, this is the one who I've asked to, now, it wasn't the greatest season. I've got to tell you that the story doesn't end uh, quite as happily as, as you might be hoping. There's, there's not a happy end to the story in that sense. But at that point, he puts his hand upon me. And he says, this is the one that I've asked to lead the team. Now, I've got to say, if, if you're in that position in that room, you're hanging tightly to those words of the teacher as he, as he leaves the room behind you. And it gives you incredible confidence. You, you know your calling. You know that the hand's been put upon you. And, this is, and you can start your pre-match speech like this. You can say, okay, let's listen up. You can start in that way because you've had the endorsement. Uh, of the, the head of games, Mr. Archer. Now, silly example. Look here in, uh, in Isaiah 49. This one knows his calling. And on this basis, because he's the chosen one of God, he says, verse 1, listen to me. Do you see the connection between listen to me and before I was born? He's putting it because, because of who I am. Listen to me, says this one. And poetically, I guess you could say that the Messiah was concealed in eternity but then stepped into history so that we could see him. And he says, listen to me. He says that to the nations. He says, make disciples of all nations. Go to the island, says Jesus Christ. Very specific. Listen to me, everyone, says the servant. And that's uh, true for us as well as we live our lives. I mean, who do you listen to? What are your idols that you're tempted to listen to? The people of Isaiah's day had a a raft of idols that they could have listened to. They they all sort of built their idols, or they looked to world rulers to bring in the future that they wanted to. But the point is, no, listen to this servant. So who do you look to to bring in the future? Uh, Medical advancement? We're still in a recession. I mean, were you hoping that this would be the week we'd move out of that? Were you hoping? We put our hopes in all sorts of things. And Jesus says, I'm not a, I don't come as a tin pot ruler or a, a Galilean preacher who got lucky. No, I come as this one, this servant promised by God. 
And so I'm, I'm not on a par with all of the other gods, all of the idols of the world. I, I, I'm not a Muhammad, a Buddha. No, I come as the servant of God. And I will not be a mute idol in the corner of your life. I'm this one, says the servant of God. He knows his calling. And perhaps as you hear that, maybe, I don't know, maybe you hear that and you think, I don't like the sound of that. That sounds very pushy or bolshy. Remember last week, we, we need to remember this is the one who, who won't squash the bruised reed. It's good news that he's going to extend that sort of care to the nations. That's all he's doing. He's extending his care to the nations. It's good news he's going to do that. And look on at uh, the second thing, verse 4. He seems to fail. I don't know if this will help as you think this through. Look at verse 4. It's an extraordinary verse. I said, this is the servant speaking, I've labored to no purpose. I've strength, spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. See, there's a turn in the conversation that you might not expect. It's as if the servant said, you said the nations, but it doesn't look like that. You said the nations, but there's really no one. I've spent my strength in vain. Well, what's going on here is apparent failure. The apparent failure of the servant. Now, we'll see the end of the story in a minute. It's not that it's ultimate failure, but it is apparent failure at this moment. And notice that two things are going on here. Uh, do you see the verse, verse 4? Both looking around at futility. I've spent my strength in vain. And at the same time, looking to God. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand. My reward is with God. Do you see both of those in the verse, verse 4? Both futility and looking to God. Now, both of those, of course, can be, can be true at a, a moment. I mean, think, you, you, get, you go to the slot machine um, to buy a can of Coke. You, you put your money in. The, the money drops uh, and, and you wait. If you take a photo at that moment, you haven't got anything out of it, but you're looking to the machine to, to deliver. They can both be true at the same moment. You can pause the, the film and both see apparent futility and yet looking to something to deliver. And that's what we see in the servant here. How does it point to Jesus? How did this poetic prediction work out in his experience? I mean, is there a moment? Was there ever a time when the Lord Jesus Christ seemed to have spent his strength in vain? Yes, there was. I mean, pause the, pause the camera at the cross. He spends his strength spiritually. There, there is no one who lived the life that Jesus lived. He loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He spent his spiritual strength. He died on the cross. He lived the life that we should have lived. All of his strength for that. To live the life that we could never lived and haven't lived. And he spent his physical strength as he climbs up a hill to a cross. You know, Jesus nearly didn't make it to the cross. So beaten was he. And yet he goes to the cross. He spends his strength. But if you pause the camera at the moment of his death, who is there around the cross? Who is there? I mean, there's a, there's a soldier who's about to pierce his side. Um, there, there are some women over there. There are some disciples who fled over the hillside. There's no one. This is, this is the great church leader, the greatest leader ever. And yet at the moment of his death, the nation of Israel is shrunk to one. One faithful Israelite dying on a cross 
you pause the camera at those moment, look at verse 4, if you pause the camera at that minute, what have you got? It seems I've labored to no purpose, I've spent my strength in vain, and yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand. It's not that he despairs or, or thinks that it actually would be in vain, but at that moment he seems to fail. He seems to fail. Look, some things uh, just to pick out of this. This is the splendor of God. You're my servant in whom I will display my splendor. God promised that of his servant. It must be true at every moment. The cross is Jesus' splendor. That moment that you pause, it is the splendor of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John's gospel, the cross will be my hour of glory. He said it would be his hour of glory, the splendor of God. Look, if you're looking in at the Christian faith, did you expect this of God? That you'd meet a God like this, who can both look like he's failed and yet be trusting God for the future. I would have airbrushed it out. But God hasn't. Because this is his moment of glory. I wonder if you know this uh, poem. The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but thou alone. The cross is the splendor of God. His apparent failure is his greatest moment of glory as he dies to pay for sin, to live the life that we should have lived, so that we go free. But also this is a reason to listen to him as well. He seems to fail. This is the reason to listen to him. He starts small. We'll see that he snatches victory from defeat. But we listen to those who start small in, in some senses, not because they seem to fail. Um, so not in spite of uh, their seeming failure, but because of it. So take uh, Steve Jobs, who I, who I mentioned, the, the head of Apple. Maybe you know that... Um, Back in 1985, he, he left Apple right at the start. And then he came back in 1995, I think it was, which was the time where I, I shouldn't really be pretending I know all of this information about computers. I'm totally technically illiterate. But, um, but I do know that he came back in 1985. Windows um, 95 was coming out then. Everything took off with PC. And it just looked like an awful decision that he made. In fact, um, Dell, the head of Dell, a guy called Michael Dell, uh, said this when he was asked, what would you do with Apple at this moment? He, he said, I'd sell it back to the share, shareholders and close it down. That's what he said at that moment. Now, why do we listen to Steve Jobs these days? Why do people book for seminars and read everything he says? Because he knows what it's like to seem to fail and yet not do. That's why we listen to him. Not in, in spite of that, but because of that. Because he's been where we've been. Because we've been where we live much of our lives. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is like that. He's a high priest who knows our weakness, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. This is a reason to listen to him. It's also the nature of faith. See those two things together. I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand. That's a picture of faith. We think that if we admit feelings of futility that um, we can't be trusting God. So you lead a small group, uh, you make a decision, you try to witness to your team, but it doesn't, you know, you're not the husband or wife that you wish you were. And we think that to admit feelings of futility, 
is not to be trusting God. But see, these both are here together. Both feeling that we've failed and yet looking to God. Jesus Christ does that on the cross. He entrusts himself to his heavenly Father. Or we think that if we trust God, we'll never experience feelings of futility. And so we surf the wave of the Christian life for a few years, but then we come across just feelings of apparent failure and we don't know what to do with them. You see here in this verse is both. The servant knows that. What it's like to have apparent failure and let, yet look to God at the same moment. And if you are sitting here and you, you feel like, well, I'm, I'm experiencing this feeling of, of futility. Well, do verse four, look to God at the same time. I've labored to no purpose, yet I look to God. So the servant seems to fail, but finally will be honored. See, the conversation continues, and God is speaking, verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and God has been my strength. He says... It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. See two things here. See the, the width of uh, the reign of Jesus Christ. Look at, look at verse 5. God says to his servant, it might look like you failed, but look what I'm going to do. It's too small a thing for you to just bring back Israel. I'm going to send my salvation, you, to the ends of the earth. And in fact, these, these words, I am honored, verse 5, and it's too small a thing. I really, I mean, if you read the ESV, they're, they're, they're the same idea. I am, I am weighty in the eyes of the Lord, and it's too light a thing. We're meant to see them together. The servant, the Messiah, is the one who has the full weight and splendor of God himself, is God. And it would be, be too small a thing just for, for him to have some tribes back. No, I'm going to send you to the nations. A friend of mine uh, told me of his schoolmate whose uh, 18th birthday present from his dad was, uh, he goes out into the garage and uh, he pulls up the, the garage door, and there is a, a, a Beetle convertible, brand new, 17 miles on the clock, just sitting in the garage for him. Now, the end of the story is that the son said to his dad, that's not what my brother got. My brother got a much better car than that, which um, sort of... Um, but look, <laughs> you, sort of, you sort of know what should be... What's the present? What's the appropriate present for a son? Um, Christmas presents are coming around. Maybe it's best not to go there um, with the sort of presents that you buy. I don't know. For, um... here's, this, here's this son, the servant who comes, and God says, it's just not big enough. It's just not a good enough present for you. It's not appropriate for who you are to just bring back Israel. No, the ends of the earth are all that is needed for you. And so Jesus is not just for the nation of Israel. It's far too small for him. He comes for the ends of the earth, not to be a sort of localized God, but the islands will be his possession. So see the, the width of his reign, the utter outreaches of his world uh, are his salvation, is, is what uh, he's going to bring salvation to. But then see the height 
if you like, of, of uh, those who are going to come to him. So verse 7, we turn to the kings who will see you and rise up. There'll be reversed opinion among those in the corridors of power. Do you see their current opinion of this servant? It's just a footnote here in verse 7. But to him who is despised and abhorred by the nation. It's exactly what happened when the Messiah came. He was abhorred by the nation of Israel. It's thought to be disgusting, despised, hated, mocked, spat upon. He was abhorred. And yet he's the servant of rulers, quietly sustaining even the hands of those who are turning against him, sustaining the hands even today of rulers who would squash him down. He's the servant of rulers. But one day, the reversed opinion of those in the corridors of power who despise him will be turned around. Those who cold shoulder Jesus, those who patronize him, one day they'll see him as he really is. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will bow down. How, how does that work? Well, I guess if you, if you honor someone, you, you can either, when they come through the door, you can all, we could all rise, or we could all go flat on our face. And both would be appropriate before this king who comes. Why is God telling you this? Why is he telling us this? His promises, I mean, we've really overheard a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, between God and his servant, the Messiah. Why does God want us to hear this? Because he, he wants to say to his son, and he wants us to hear that the cross will not be a waste. It won't be in vain. The cross of Jesus Christ won't be a waste. No, the nations will see, kings will rise up. If you've got kings rising up and princes bowing down, you've got the nation will rise up and bow down before him. It bothers God, you could put it that way. It bothers God, the extent of his son's reign. Does it bother us? Does it bother you? I read this um, prayer. It's a prayer that I keep coming back to, but it's a prayer of a guy called Jim Elliott, who was a missionary in South America. You may have heard of him. But this prayer of his, I, I, he's bothered. Listen to this prayer. Oh, Jesus, master and center and end of all, how long before that glory is thine, which has so long waited for thee? Now there is no thought of thee among men. Then there shall be thought for nothing else. Hasten, glory of heaven, take thy crown, subdue thy kingdom, enthrall thy creatures. It bothers him. Start, what bothers God starts to bother us. It starts to bother us that he's despised and abhorred by the nation. But we start to long for more and more that kings will see him. One day they'll see him and they'll rise up. They'll fall flat on their face before him. Has that got inside you yet? Do you believe this? I've got my um, Kings and Queens of, of England book here. I mean, if I read them out, this is real, this is concrete, this is what verse 7 says. Matilda the Empress, Richard I, John, the Earl Marshal, Edward II, Henry IV, Richard III, Henry VIII, Mary II, Victoria, Elizabeth II will rise up when Jesus Christ comes into history as the king of all kings and the lord of all kings uh, as the uh, king of all kings and the lord of all lords 
They'll rise up as he comes in and hush before him. It will happen. God's promised it to his son. Kings will rise up. Princes will bow down. Sarkozy, Obama, Osama, Cameron, Brown, Griffin will rise up and bow down before the king of kings as he comes into his world. Maybe you've seen the film, The Madness of uh, King George. It's a great film. Uh, if you've not seen it, good, uh, good night in. In that film, uh, the king is despised by his court. He, um, he's ill, and uh, he's sent off to a, a, a farm. He's strapped to a chair. He's laughed at. He's scoffed at. But the climax of the film comes when he returns to Parliament. At the moment that they're plotting to hand power over to the worthless Prince Regent, just at that moment he comes and his carriage pulls in front of Parliament and people run out to see him. The carriage door opens, the king steps out and people bow before him. The Prince Regent swoons at the back. And the final scene of the film is the king as he returns in power and all of the people break out in song, hands in the air rejoicing as the king comes. And even more so, even more wonderful than that, will be the return of Jesus Christ, this king of kings. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who's faithful. God's promised this to his son. It will happen. And so be comforted as we close if you're sticking with him. And it's hard to stick with him and you're under pressure uh, to do so. Look, if you're not a Christian, then you need to get things right with him before he comes. If kings are going to have to bow down, then, then you will. But look, if you are sticking with him, then be comforted. He will come. God's promised it to him. He might look an apparent failure at one moment in history, but he will be honored just as we prayed at the start, Andy prayed, uh, prayed this, that um, people would know that we're not peddling a second-hand car down the road. We're not just sort of peddling away as if this isn't going to happen. No, God's going to bring in his kingdom. And in five, in a see you in France. The King of Kings will be seen by all people. He will be. And listen to him. Does he have your ear this week? Does he have your attention? Does he fill your horizon this week as you look to him? the King of kings who comes. Kings will see you and rise up and princes will see you and bow down. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you that you've promised that kings and princes will uh, see uh, your Messiah, your servant, and that he will get the honour that is due to him, that the cross will not have been a waste, that though he seemed to have spent his strength at one moment in history in vain, you've said that it's too small a thing that he should get just a few people, but you're committed to bringing the nations to him. And thank you that that bothers you, and we pray that it would more and more uh, grip and bother and drive us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.